right. <clears throat> well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. My name's Nathan. I'm super glad that you're here. Uh, we spent some special time preparing for this morning. Every week it's a little bit different, and there's a different sort of set of expectations and hopes that goes along with what we plan and put together. Um, oftentimes I'm aware of folks, I never preach at folks, I can tell you that, but I'm always aware of folks uh, for whom the topic will be especially sensitive or meaningful. Um, it's one of the privileges of knowing you, is uh, I know enough of what's going on that I, I'm able to, at least to some degree, uh, sort of say, well, boy, this is going to be challenging for this person. This is going to be helpful for this person. And I'm just especially excited about the morning. Excited is the wrong word to use, but I'm, I'm full of anticipation about the healing that can happen uh, as we address what we're going to address today. So um, I'm so glad that you're here. I've been praying that we would have open hearts and minds to receive the kind of healing that God wants to give to each of us right where we are today. So if this is your first time here, welcome. There's baskets under the seats on the aisles. And if you're seated there, could you hand a basket down, kind of pass it down? There's cards in there. If you'd like to fill out a card, just handing off your contact information, you're welcome to do that. We send out a weekly email newsletter, three things happening in our church community this week, very brief. But if you'd like to receive that, go ahead and fill that card out and, uh, and that will happen. All right. Come on in. If there's seats in the middle, maybe you could scoot over. As folks are still coming in, maybe you could give some space to the aisles. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll put those. We, uh, we're going to share a story today, so you can set those. Appreciate it. So uh, we're in a series called uh, Becoming Whole. It's about emotional health. That's what we've been talking about for a bit. Um, in recent weeks, We've been talking about dealing with your pain. I began the series by talking about proactive ways to establish and nurture health. And as soon as we kind of get into being intentional about becoming more whole emotionally, we start to run into the roadblocks. We start to kind of get up against the things that we haven't dealt with in the past. And so the second half of the series, I've been focusing on those things. And the central theme has been to deal with your pain, not to ignore your pain, not to try to deny your pain, not to try to entertain yourself away from your pain or cover it with substances or other kinds of aids, um, but to deal with your pain, to be forthright, honest, and open about it. We want, to, um, we want to be people who are pursuing truth in our own hearts and processing it, working through it. So, in order to do this, I invited us to recognize two truths. The first is that God is with us in our pain. He is with us in our pain. Not he'll be with you once your pain is done. Not he left you as you entered the pain and is waiting for you to emerge. On the, no, he's with you in, in your pain. This is a life-changing truth. Um, at least it has been for me. You're not alone in your pain. Pain can feel isolating and lonely. But the truth is, according to Scripture, God is with you in your pain. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, David says. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So that's the first truth. God is with us in our pain. And the second truth is this. God wants to lead us through it. God wants to lead us through our pain. In other words, he doesn't want us to get stuck in our pain. We don't, we're not... Uh, destined to be stuck in our pain forever. But God wants to lead us through our pain, to guide us through. 
So with those two truths, God is with us in our pain, God wants, desires, has the ability and the willingness to lead us through our pain. With those two truths as the foundation, uh, we've been focusing on some specific kinds of pain. We talked a couple weeks ago about pain from failure, which for some of us is a very special and very difficult kind of pain. The pain that we've experienced or the pain that we've caused because of our own failures. Last week, Sienna talked about being graceful with yourself as you process your pain, as you work through your pain. And that was a really important message because most of us are geared in such a way that we are really rough on ourselves, which only makes it harder for us to deal with our pain. Sienna said, be graceful with yourself as you deal with pain. And today I want to focus on pain from loss. I want to focus on this grief or this deep sadness that comes from unrealized hope that comes from the loss or the end of a relationship, uh, that comes from the death of a loved one. Why in the world should we do this? Somebody asked me at a park yesterday, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on the pain that comes from loss. And they went, oh, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll come next week. Um, why should we do this? Why do we want to touch on the most tender spot of our broken heart? Why talk about this kind of pain? An author that we read that kind of kicked us into this series on emotional health, he puts it like this. He says, loss marks the place where self-knowledge and transformation happens. Loss marks the place. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and transformation happens. I would say that my own loss, my own grief has been disrupting, it's been disorienting, it's been sobering, uh, it's been humbling, it's been deeply challenging to my own faith, and it has certainly been the spot, the place where self-knowledge has taken place, where transformation has taken place. Now, everybody's pain is different. Such a simple statement and so important. Everybody's pain is different. We have found that one of the most helpful things, one of the most powerful things that we can do in order to help people through their pain, understanding that everybody's pain is different, one of the most helpful things that we can do is share the story, is have, invite others to share the story of how they themselves worked through pain. To hear from somebody else who's just a little bit farther down the road than maybe we are. Um, and this is helpful because they bear the scars, so we know they get it, but they're out of the fog. They're just a few steps out of the fog. And so they have a perspective that, frankly, we need. And at times in my life, I've needed it desperately. It is what has enabled me to keep going. And so I want to introduce you to a couple that my family has known for years. They've recently become a part of Emmaus Church community. And uh, they offered, when we entered into this series on emotional health, they offered to share their story. And um, I am deeply grateful for this sacred privilege of being invited into their experience. And I trust it will be healing and encouraging for you. Would you help me welcome Julie and Tony Carlisle? <clears throat> Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. 
All right. Well, I've got a series of questions uh, to lead us through a conversation, and we'll see where that takes us, right? But um, Tony and Julie, why don't you begin just by introducing yourself a little bit to the community and sharing, essentially, uh, what happened, your story. So this is my lovely wife, Julie. I met her when she was 16 years old and, and literally love at first sight. It really was. I, I was 19 years old and I thought, who is that lady? I have to get to know her. I didn't know she was only 16 years old. <laughs> had, to get, had to get past that. But anyway, we fell in love and got married when I was in medical school and started a family when I was in residence. We had four children in six years, mm -hmm. starting in 1982. Our oldest is Katie, who's now an obstetrician at Kaiser. That was our grandson Sawyer laughing right there, by the way. <laughs> Maggie, who we'll speak about, and, uh, and my older son Casey, who's, uh, I think, 32. He's a fireman. And Nick, who's a businessman, soon to be a teacher, all married with their own children and their own families, and we couldn't be more prouder of them. Maggie was born in 1984, and interestingly, she was born in March, and, and she really directly had a hand in us becoming believers in, in that that was just before Easter and we didn't know anything about Easter so Maggie really helped lead us to faith she really did when she was 13 years old my wife and I attended a, a conference at Saddleback Church in uh, Los Angeles Orange County and all four children were home with my mother-in-law Julie's mother and and uh, we got a call that Maggie was sick she was a little yellow and, and uh, we, they took her to the pediatrician and they thought she had hepatitis and that's not the worst thing in the world so we were sort of okay but then the next day we got another call and I think it was Nick that said dad mom Maggie does not look good she does not look good so we came home from from Los Angeles and when I saw her I knew she was very sick very sick so I took her to the emergency department at the hospital that I worked at which I work, and she was profoundly anemic. We thought she had leukemia or some other disease like that. She was having what's called a hemolytic anemia where your red cells rupture on their own. Hmm. She got very, very sick, was in the hospital on a Friday, had 50 blood transfusions in the course of a week. Uh, and about halfway through that, we, they thought they had the diagnosis, but it became clear that they really didn't know what she had. She got sicker and sicker, uh, wound up on a respirator, and died a week later, really to the day, the next Friday. We were obviously devastated and, and uh, found out about a month later that she had died of a, of a hereditary disease that we carry as genes, our other children are fine, called Wilson's disease, and had this very rare, overwhelming complication of Wilson's disease. and, and and that's how she died. Do you want to share at this point, Tony, uh, anything about the dynamic of your being a doctor in the midst of that uh, confusion? Yeah. yeah, you know, there was, there was this dynamic. At, at first, I, you know, I, I work at Kaiser, and I had all the trust in the world in my colleagues. Uh, and we thought we had the diagnosis. But in about the third or fourth day, it was clear that we didn't. And so... I'm an internal medicine physician, and I thought, wait a minute, these people don't know what's wrong with my kid. Hmm. I'm a fairly good doc. I should be able to figure this out. So I went to the library, and I studied and studied and figured, hmm. I got to try to save my kid's life. I got to figure out what this is because it's out of control. Mm -hmm. 
that lasted about two hours, and I, and I realized I can't be Maggie's physician. I have to be her, her father. Mm -hmm. If I can't trust my colleagues with whom I work, well, why am I working here? So I had to really, really wash my hands of that. And the only hard part, well, not the only hard part, the biggest, hardest part of that was, you know, she had some very specific lab values that sort of told us if she was going in the right direction or not. And every, and every day those lab values got worse, worse and worse and worse, the highest I've ever seen in my whole life. And every day I would plug her, plug her Kaiser number into the computer, say a prayer, and hit enter, knowing that the next screen that comes up in front of my face is going to be the life or death of my own kid, which was devastating. And every single day it was worse and worse and worse. I appreciate that because um, I appreciate that dynamic and you're sharing it um, because I think that one of the challenges of experiencing a hard, uh, an excruciatingly hard time with your child is, is being the parent and embracing that role that nobody else can embrace. It's both the hardest thing to do and it's the most essential. It maybe is the is the only essential thing. Mm -hmm. There are f there are only a few people in the world for whom we are the only one, mm -hmm. and so uh, even though it can be super challenging to be the only one to somebody in pain, we have to be there, right? Mm -hmm. We have to be there. Mm -hmm. We have to be present there mm -hmm. um, because there isn't anybody else who can take that. There's several doctors, but there's only one death. Yeah. So share with us a little bit about how you get out of bed that next Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and just to kind of segue off mm -hmm. what you just said, that we're the only ones that yeah. are there. Yeah. And, and I didn't have the information Tony right. had. Right. I mean, he knew what was going down every day. Yeah. And I still was naive to that. Mm -hmm. And um, But at one point, they said they needed to do a procedure on her. And the doctors asked us to leave because they said she's going to be screaming when this is going down. And um, we're going to have to hold her down to do this. Mm. And to be the people, you yeah. know, the closest people to her, it's like, no, 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 no. We'll be the ones yeah. that hold her down. Yeah. And nobody else is going to do that. Mm. But um, Tony had mentioned that on our way to uh, this conference down in L.A. that we were going to, we decided at the grapevine to, to memorize a passage of scripture. And it was Philippians 4. And the beginning of that says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so when we had gotten home, as many of you know, grief is the hardest work you'll ever do. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so we all slept together in that bed when we got home. And the next morning, our youngest son, Nick, who has a body type like Maggie has, and he was standing at the end of the bed, and he said... He was nine years old. Yeah, nine. And he said, Mom, aren't you going to get up and make breakfast today? And I looked at him and, and saw his little precious face, and it's like I looked up and there was a fan going above our bed. And 
the Holy Spirit brought back to memory that first verse of Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going, how can, how can you rejoice in this? Yeah. How can you rejoice? But the big word was in. Rejoice in, not for, but in. And so that word became paramount and said, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it your way because I have no strength to do it any other way. So thank you for this breeze that's coming off this van right now. And thank you for that little boy that's on the end of this bed. And so I said, sure, buddy. And I sat up and it was like, thank you that I can sit up. I mean, it was that minuscule, that simple. Thank you that my feet can walk into the, the other room and got dressed, fixed my hair, went out and made breakfast. So having that impetus from Nick to say, Mom, I need some normalcy is really what he was saying right. in, in my life. God us can, up. You can't. That moment set the tone for the rest of our lives. Hmm. We're, we're broken. We're, we're, we're hurt bad. Our family's been hurt bad, and, and, and we've borne the scars of it over years. But with that moment and Julie putting makeup on, we decided we're going to be victorious. We're going to, we're going to walk through this valley. It's going to take us years, and we're still walking through it. Yeah. But we're going to be victorious. And Because, and, frankly, that morning, I, I didn't care if I ever got out of bed again. I really didn't. I, I thought, I just don't care. Yeah. You know, this, this and, and, and thank heavens we have wonderful other children to help us, that helped us because they needed us. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't check out of being a parent. We had to be a parent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When we talked about this in your living room, Tony, you said you, live, you learn to live without the arm, but you're an amputee forever. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, the process of, uh, of healing and yet the constant of pain, how those two things work together? For, for me... I, all I wanted to do was know somebody who had lost a child who seemed kind of normal. Mm -hmm. And, and I, no one came to mind other than people like Abraham Lincoln and people that I obviously didn't know. Mm -hmm. The morning after Maggie died, my neighbor came over. His name's John, an older guy. We were never friends, but I knew, basically knew his name. And he had heard about what happened, and he said, he's about 70. He said, you know, I lost a child. She was 17 years old and died in a car accident. And I thought, What? you're kind of normal. You, you, you don't have this big sign around your neck all the time saying, I'm a parent who lost a child. He had a kind of a normal life. And, and then people started coming to us and, and with the same situation. And, and I was just amazed that, that they seemed to be normal and that gave me a lot of hope. My wife's analogy was just that. You know, you lose an arm, you're an amputee forever, but you learn to live with just one arm. And... Uh, and that's, we, I held, we read books about people who lost family members and all that stuff was very comforting. And frankly, we used it later, like we're sort of doing now, to other families who had lost children because it's just such a wonderful thing to see somebody that's, we're not normal, we're not, we're not healed, but we're okay. Mm -hmm. One of the truths that uh, my wife and I held on to through... Um, through a season of pain, a long season of pain for us, different but painful for us, was this idea that life is a battle. Um, and so people would ask me, how are you doing? And uh, I, 
I wasn't doing fine, so I didn't want to say I was doing fine. And I knew that they didn't really want to hear how I was doing. Um, so uh, I would say, we're battling. Uh, life's a battle, or we're fighting. Um, can you talk about, about that dynamic, um, what you were fighting for and what you were fighting against? That's a beautiful word for his battle. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it became because a wound, a gaping wound, it's, it's still, it sweats and bleeds and there's still pain. But if you, can, if you can get a scar on that, you still have the battle scars, but they don't hurt as much as if you leave that wound open. And, and frankly, Tony's dad had died when he was young, when he was 10, and so he was familiar with that kind of loss. And like Nate said, every kind of loss is different. Um, my father had committed suicide, and my younger brother had died in a plane crash a few years prior to this. And I was familiar with that kind of mm. pain and, and loss. Mm -hmm. But with Maggie, it was, it was a whole other deal. And, um, and I, I had watched my mom choose to go through the valley of the shadow of death in a different way. And she got stuck in the area of bitterness mm. and resentfulness. And that caused alienation and isolation for her the rest of her life. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really it became such a spiritual battle of, you know what? The dark side, you can't have my husband. And you can't have our daughter, Kate. And you can't have Casey. And you can't have Nick. You can't have their heart. Hmm. You can't have their mind. You, we can be as angry as we want, but we got to keep walking through, like you said earlier, it's through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's a walk. Yeah. And in this culture where everything is hurry, 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 they even have now, like McDonald's, you can get a fast pass for McDonald's. Really? Yeah, 10 seconds faster. <laughs> That'll be a life changer. <laughs> but, but you can't hurry grief. Right. You have to right. go through it, right. and, and it's not lineal. In, in, like, you're angry. Okay, I'm done with being angry. Right. Now I'm going to be, you know, sad. It, it's not like that. It's back and forth and back and forth. And so it became, Lord, I'm going to put on that belt of truth. And the truth is that you died. You took that pain. You took the sin of our daughter Maggie, and I'm forever going to praise you forever going to praise you for doing that. And you took Tony's, you took Kate's, you took Nick's, you took Casey's. And how could I not worship a God who would do that? Mm -hmm. who, would, who would take the people that I love more than anything in the world and take their sin as well as mine so that we are just, we're being transformed into another place in the blink of an eye. I, I praise him for that. But it was a battle, right. and it wore us down. Yeah. I mean, physically it wore us down, emotionally it wore us down, and it wasn't like we just did everything right. We had challenges all the way through. Sometimes you had to, we, we called it leaning into your grief. It's like mm -hmm. you're okay for a, for a week or so, and you realize, wow, I haven't cried in a week. I haven't, I haven't stopped my car on the way to work right off at the Eureka exit and, and bawled for a while. But then you have to lean into it 
and I don't, you know, whether that means, whatever that means for you, uh, you just have to give it up and ball your head off and scream or, or whatever you need to do. It's just, you have to do that. And, and as time goes on, you have to do it less and less. And I remember after this happened, how I wanted so badly in the blink of an eye to be a year later mm. or two years later yeah. or 10 years later. <laughs> and you just, that's something that obviously just can't happen. Yeah. Now you had the, the benefit, I think, of having other children. Um, everybody's loss is different. Everybody's pain is different. So we'll need to translate this into our own situations. But what did you mean by, thank you. Uh, what did you mean when you said, uh, our kids are the prize? Mm -hmm. I, I, I appreciated that, and it, it, uh, it rallied something in me. Can you just spend a minute on that? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I do remember. Okay. Everybody does grieve differently. And mm -hmm. for each one of our kids, they were grieving differently. Some want to talk. Some don't want to talk. Some need to do something very physical. Some are just, you know, sad in themselves. And, and I remember it was a time with, with our daughter, Kate. And, um, and she, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing she this was She was 15, yeah. so she's in the middle of this her high grief. school teenage years. Yeah, and she's, she's kind of numb, you know. She's kind of numb about stuff. But we started butting heads as time was going on, and it was like, why do I feel like her enemy at this time? Mm -hmm. And I was walking out in the pasture in the front and praying because he says in James, if you ask for wisdom, he will give it generously. Mm -hmm. It's like, Lord, I, I pray for generous wisdom. That's mm -hmm. what I pray. And just kept walking back and forth. And, and the impression that he gave me was, she's not your enemy. She's the prize. Amen. She's the prize. And it was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to battle for her because that took the emotion right out of it, took it out of it. She's the prize, and the prize is her heart and her mind and her soul. And the same with Casey and Nick. And it's like, I'm going to fight for them even if they feel like I'm fighting against them. That, and that made it so doable. His word is true. You, if you just take it as that truth and put it on and go, it's not about how we feel about it. It's about just being obedient and doing it his way. And, and his way works. Amen. Amen. So good. Um, finally, how, how, can, how can grieving be good, do you think? Um, how, how can grieving be a, a good thing? And um, how can we grieve well? Uh, you know, a, a lot of wonderful things have happened because of Maggie's death. Now, I would much rather have Maggie back, period. Yeah. I mean, we, we've given away through a charity $300,000 worth of scholarships in Maggie's name. If you go to Kaiser Roseville Hospital, there's three pink benches right outside the, the cafeteria there that are dedicated to Maggie. Mm -hmm. uh, there's benches at Penryn School. There's, there's all these accolades and... She was a wonderful child. All that stuff's great, and all that stuff help you, helps you. But the, the way the grief was good to me is I'm not sure I ever needed to really depend on God for anything, frankly. Hmm. I mean, I'd like to give him credit. I would have liked to have given him credit for getting into medical school and things. But the, 
when that happened, he was really all I had. I mean, and, and, and as hard as that sounds, that, that changed my whole life into, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. And it also changes the whole, ass, the whole sort of thought of eternal life. And, you know, eternity was kind of a cool thing back in, before this. And, mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of a benefit, isn't it? But when you've got a child waiting for you there, mm -hmm. the whole thing changes. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've used this, like I said earlier. We've, we've met personally with families that have lost children. And, and sometimes it works out great and sometimes not so great because everybody grieves differently. Mm -hmm. There's anger. There's blame. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how it's happened for me anyway. But mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, like you said, baby, it's a choice. It's a choice you're going to make, you know. We're going to choose to walk through. We're going to choose to be honest. No facade. And, and so many times people wanting to express, you know, kind, kindness to us, it's kind of ironic because you need to be the grace giver because sometimes you don't know what to say yeah. um, to people. And so... The good part of, of the grief was, one, making a decision that we're going to allow the Lord to fight our fights, mm -hmm. and, um, but we're not going to, to lose. We weren't going to lose our marriage. We weren't going to lose our relationships with our kids. Mm -hmm. we, we weren't going to lose on that front. And that he is with us, like you said that. Yeah. He's yeah. with us when those waters start to rise. He's with us when you feel like you can't breathe. He's with us. Um, when, I mean, there may be people from Penryn that were scared because it'd be foggy, and that's when I like to walk, and I would yell. <laughs> they don't know who, who maybe was in the depths of that fog. But, but just, you know, just being honest about it. Yeah, yeah. You, you folks have done, uh, in my, uh, from my view, you've done such a good job being honest with it, and yet you haven't, uh, like Tony said, it hasn't become the label for your life. And I feel like that's such a challenging tension. Any thoughts on that? In other words, how can we do the hard work of dealing with our grief without, being, uh, without taking on our grief as our core identity? That's such a good question. It's a, it's it's a, a good it's a question. Yeah. I'd love a thought or two about that if you, if you have anything. Well... It is a role of a victim, is what happens. You take on the role of a victim. And honestly, I did do that. I did, especially at the beginning, I did do that. And, but I was familiar with that role because I, you, you get some kind of attention, um, even though it's not the attention that you necessarily want to be right. able to have, but you do, you get this, this attention. And Again, the role that God's used with fans in my life, it's amazing. There's another fan above my head. This was in the living room, though. We're fully fanned at our house. And, um, and I, I remember someone making a comment about a victimization kind of issue, like feeling sorry for me. Yeah. And I remember feeling that breeze again and going, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be a victim to this. I'm not going to be a victim to this. God has so much more for me and the labels that he has for Good. us yeah. at, as his child, yeah. as a warrior, as his beloved, Good. as his wonderful, 
person that he's got purpose for, it's like victim wasn't one of those. Yeah. And so it was fighting off not wanting that kind of attention anymore. Yeah. Good. For me, it was, it was what you said about giving grace. I mean, people, you know, they walk up to you and you can tell they're looking down. They don't want to look you in the eye because they don't know what to say. Yeah. And, and really giving them grace and saying, it's okay. You know, I'm all right. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. We're victorious. We're hurting, but we're victorious and, and trying to just share the grace that was given to us. Amen. Amen. Daryl, would you, would you come up and play? Uh, I'd like to just take a minute to, to pause and to um, kind of rest in what Tony and Julie have shared. Um, Paul talks about this interesting dynamic, and he's talking to the church, and he's talking about the value of suffering. And one of the things he points out is that having been comforted, which of course implies that you've allowed yourself to be comforted and you've worked through your grief. But he says, having been comforted, now comfort others. And um, so I, I, wanna, I know that some of you are in the thick of it. And I know that some of you, this is 10, 20, 30 years ago, but it pulls something up, doesn't it, to hear uh, a story. And so I, I have no idea what's happening inside your mind and heart now. Um, and for some of you, it's like, I have no idea about this. Um, but life is full of pain, and we will, we will all experience it at some point. And so as Daryl plays, I want to be quiet for a minute, and then I just want to invite um, either of you who would like to, to just pray over the church and uh, over those who are hurting specifically, and, and then I'll, I'll pray to close this down. So let's just take a minute and uh, rest in, the, uh, in this moment and invite the Spirit of God to fill us with courage and grace, the assurance of His love for us, even in the midst of the chaos that we may be experiencing. God, you're good. And you are with us. You're with us, God. You gave us your spirit to reside in us, to guide us, to comfort us when we are at the end of our rope, Lord, when we feel we can't even take a breath sometimes. Lord, right here, these people that are right here, you love so much and you've called them. You've called them by your name. You have their name engraved in your hand you love the people they love and you've given so much you're so generous in the amount that you love us and you've given so much in, in Jesus Lord we can't ever repay you for that we can't ever repay you for that but Lord in our humanness may we be disciplined in listening to you and not fighting this in our own strength. You are the one that goes before us. You hem us in from behind and before. You are there when we feel just so overwhelmed that we don't know what to do or say. You are tender, God, and you are compassionate. Thank you for your word that tells us when when Lazarus, Jesus' friend, was was sick and then dying and, and how he was so upset with the ravages of death how it's taken from your good work you, you made us very good and he was sick with that 
Lord, may we be sick with the ravages of sin and what it does and the disease and the death that it leads to. May we claim you, Lord, as victorious over death. And the only way that we can be victorious is in you. Lord, for friends here whose hearts are broken, Lord, right now, may they just embrace that brokenness. May they know that you walk with them through the anger of their loss. That you want to continue to take them through the valley of the shadow of death. And how we get hit by the shadow because you've taken the full impact of death. Lord, I pray for scarring of the wounds. That they won't continue to seep and to be reopened. That that flesh that you give us to heal over those places, Lord, that it would, it would just stay right there. Stay right there in a scar. And will you make us a gentle people, Lord? Gentle with people and not to hurry them through their losses. That you would give us eyes to see those who are hurting, who, who aren't even able to articulate it. But just give us a bond of hearts, Lord. Would you give us ears to hear um, words that they might have that show that they, are, that they are desperate, Lord. Desperate for love, desperate for you, desperate for compassion. And thank you, Lord. Thank you that we're Maggie's parents, that we're Kate's parents and Casey and Nick's parents, Lord. And you continue to walk with all of us as we continue to walk through this time on this earth. We praise you and we love you. Would you fill us with your grace, breath, and life for another day, courage to face the pain, and trust that is beyond our understanding, trust that comes from a place that we didn't even know existed. So we could keep going. Become more whole, even in the face of brokenness and sin. We look to you, Lord. You are our rescue. We are depending on you for the things that we cannot do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Great job. I think that... Uh, I think what we'll do, I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna change things up just a bit. Um, I'd like to, typically we'll, we'll uh, hear some announcements and uh, thank you both. Thank you both so much. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. yeah. I know this complicates things for some of our volunteers, but here's what I'd like, I'd like to move right into communion to give us some more space to uh, process this and then uh, hear the gospel proclaimed over this. And then we'll sing. And then at the end, uh, we'll share a couple things happening in the church this week and we'll receive our offering. So for those of you who, whose morning I just um, turned upside down, I apologize. Um, 
why don't we stand up for just one minute and uh, extend peace to one another. I'll pull the altar out into the front. Um, in this time, would you just embrace somebody close to you and welcome them and uh, make sure that they know in a physical and tangible way that God loves them. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Take one minute, greet those around you, and we'll come right back together. Thank you. Yeah. Right. I want to welcome you back to your seats. I'd like to move right into this time of prayer. And then we'll um, we'll come together again at the end. God, God uses the church to minister to the church. Truth is always incarnate. It always takes form. There's always a person connected to it.